God's word reads there as follows. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Or that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, Psalm 119 is a well-known psalm, the longest psalm in the Bible, the longest chapter, perhaps, in the Bible. We do not know who wrote this psalm, but we do know something about the poet, and that is that the poet loves the law of God. It's very clear. Several times throughout his psalm, he will say that, that he loves the law of the Lord, that he delights in the commandments and the statutes of God. He loves it so much that he decided to make a song about the law of God, expressing his delight and his joy, and his love. And he made a psalm of 176 verses, all about the law. And in all of these 176, except for four, he speaks about commandments, statutes, word, decrees, ordinances. Try that. You try to do that. Write 172 sentences expressing your love for the law of God. That takes a lot of dedication. That takes a lot of time. But he did that to express how wonderful the law of God is. And how beautiful it is to follow the commandments of our God. To make it even more special... Not only does he have 176 verses about the law of God, he puts it in the form of what is called an acrostic. And that means that he puts it in sections of eight verses, and each section, the beginning letter of a verse, of the eight verses in that section, begin with the same letter. And he goes through the whole alphabet. From the beginning to the end, that's why there are 22 stanzas. So this first one 
is about the letter A in Hebrew, Aleph. So that means every line, every sentence, one through eight, begins with the letter A. And then the next section, B, every sentence begins with the letter B. Beginning rhyme, acrostic, following the alphabet. Try that. That takes a lot of time. That takes a lot of dedication. And that shows a lot of love for the law of God. We're not dealing here with a quick outburst, a little message, a tweet about how important things are. But here someone really sits down, thinks about it, formulates it, reformulates it perhaps, to all make it into this shape. What a gift we have received in this psalm. The ABC of God's covenant relationship with us. Used also for teaching in Israel, for memorization in Israel. So why is this poet so excited about the law of God? And that is what we want to learn And this opening part brings that out. So that we too become excited about the law of God. Every Sunday we hear it, you hear it. How excited are you to hear it every Sunday again? And what does that mean for our lives? So let's listen to what we learn in these first opening verses. I proclaim to you God's word under this theme, blessed are those who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who walk in the law of the Lord. Psalm 119 begins with that word blessed. It's repeated also in verse 2. Verse 1 says, blessed are those who walk is blameless. Verse 2, blessed are those who keep his testimonies. Reminds you of Psalm 1. So certain people are called blessed. What does that mean? What does it mean to be blessed? And I'd like to take you to the ending of the service this morning. You went home with the blessing of the triune God. And in those words, the Lord said to you that he would go with you and his face would be turned toward you. His face would be shining on you. That's the impression of of like a parent who sees what his or her child is doing and is pleased with it, smiles, has a positive attitude toward it. And so here the psalmist says, God as a father or looks at you, his children, and at those upon whom he looks and, and he smiles at them. They're blessed in his eyes. Who are they? It says those whose way is blameless. Their way there refers to their life, what they do in life. So what you do at home, when you're together with your family, what you do at work, what you do when you travel, what you do when you study, what you do when you're on holidays, whatever situation, 
The way is what you do in life. And it says, those whose way is blameless are blessed. The word blameless is a more difficult word to understand. Who is this person who is blameless? And, and maybe you say, I guess I'm not. I know all my shortcomings, all my things that I do that are not pleasing to God. Every night again, I have to confess that. And this afternoon, we'll read also the uh, part about self-examination in the form for Lord's Supper. And in preparation for next week's Lord's Supper, we, we have to also consider our, our sins and how, how we are under the curse of God by nature. So who is this blameless? Well, you see, if you take blameless as sinless, Without sin, then indeed, none of us would fall under it. Because no one is blameless. No one is without sin. But you see, the Bible uses that word blameless in a somewhat different way. For example, in the book of Job, the Lord says to Satan, Satan, have you seen Job? He's blameless. Well, Job was not without sin. And yet he was called blameless. And in the New Testament, there's an older couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. They become the parents of John the Baptist. But when they're introduced in the gospel, then it says they were blameless. They were not without sin. Zechariah was disobedient in a way, and he couldn't talk anymore when he came out of the most holy place. What does blameless mean then? Blameless mean that you do what you believe, that what lives in you is also what comes from you, what is visible on you, what you say and how you do things, how you live, that inside and outside you're whole. There's, there's no hypocrisy. You see, the hypocrite has one thing inside and the other thing on the outside. And a blameless person is one who both in and out are the, is the same way. You can call them in more today's terms authentic, real. Because the way the person lives and walks, goes through life, is in complete harmony with what lives inside, what you believe. So who is the one who is blameless? who's genuine, lives in integrity, he who walks in the law of the Lord. And again, that walking is like what it says also about the ways, it's the way you live, what you do, the decisions you make, the things you do. So those who walk according to the law of the Lord. Now then we come in that answer as to who are blameless, we come to one of the key core matters in Psalm 119, and that is that word law. And in his joy, the poet of Psalm 119 uses quite a few synonyms. He talks about testimonies, he talks about ways, decrees, precepts, statutes, commandments, rules, words, and they're all about the same. 
And in, in fact, in each stanza, he tends to change them up. And you come across them. Interesting to go through the whole psalm and just underline these words in each stanza and you see how he, how he works for that. But, but what does that mean? What do we have to think when we say here that he who walks in the law of the Lord is blameless? That law, does it only refer to the Ten Commandments? Yes, the Ten Commandments are included, definitely. But within the Bible, the term law or statute or decree or ordinance is broader. It is all that the Lord has revealed and tells us to do. All his teaching, all the things that he says, this is what I require of you. This is what I want you to do. So you may make it broad. And say that when it speaks here about the law and the statutes and the commandments, it points to the totality of God's word as he instructs us in how to live, how to go about our daily work. And that applies to the Old Testament, it applies to the New Testament. I think of what Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3 when he speaks about the word of God that is inspired because it's given for the regulation of our lives for the teaching, for the instruction, so that the man of God is equipped for every good work. And that is what this psalm is about. So do not isolate the Ten Commandments from the rest of God's Word, but see it as part and parcel woven into the whole fabric of God's revelation, God's Word. And that is what he speaks about here. Blessed are those who walk in the way of the Lord, the way he teaches us in his word. So there you have the opening, the beginning, sentence, that is, those are the people who are blessed. And in verse 2 and 3, you could say that a poet explains that and just reiterates it. In, in, in Hebrew poetry, you have parallelism. That means you, you, you Again, say the same thing with some different words, just to highlight, to emphasize, and to make us think about it. It's a teaching poem. Because in verse 2 and 3, you have, in a way, a repetition. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. So there you have testimonies instead of law. And who seek him with their whole heart. Verse 3 who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. So there again you have the ways. And notice in both 2 and 3, you see this, this wholeness of what you know about God and his word is also what you do in how you live. It speaks about keeping testimonies, seeking the Lord with your whole heart, doing no wrong. There you have that blameless element that you accept that law in your heart, you, you, you say, yes, this is God's law, and you show that in how you live. And having said that, in verse 4, the poet, in a way, interjects and says, I get it. He, he began with saying, blessed are those whose way is blameless, in a way, more neutral, more from a distance, but now he becomes more personal. 
And in verse 4, he says, I realize why you gave us this word, why you gave us your commandments, to be kept diligently. That is a blameless element again. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. That's why the Lord spoke to his people. That's why he gives you his word, so that it be kept diligently. Not, oh, as long as I do whatever it needs to pass, it's okay. Diligent. In, in Deuteronomy, also the word careful is often used in connection to keeping the law of God, that you're careful to obey his word and his commandments. You take care, you give it your attention, and diligence is the same thing. So there you have it. And the psalmist says, Lord, I accept it. What he, what he said in verse 1, 2, and 3 about those who keep the law, he says, yes, I realize it. Blessed are those who walk in the law of the Lord. And you will sing these words also after this sermon. And it's good for us to, to reflect on that as well. That indeed when we sing this, we mean it. That also for us, there is this integrity that what we sing and indeed also shows in how we live and how we teach that the law of the Lord is a joy and delight. And that, as I said, every Sunday, when we come together and we hear the law, it is not a matter of, oh, do I have to hear that again? I get tired of it. But he's excited about it. This is God again showing us how we have to live. I get it, Lord. You give this to us because you want it to be kept diligently. And that is the joy that the poet expresses and I hope it's also your joy to keep God's word. But almost sounds too good to be true, isn't it? When you read verses 1 through 4, you may wonder, well, is the poet realistic? Does he know himself? Has he done some self-examination? That we are corrupt by nature. It's too good to be true. Can anyone do this? Now, the second part of stanza one answers that point. There's an important change within the verses of this first section, and actually within the whole psalm. Because only in verse one, two, and three is God spoken about in the third person. From verse 4 on, it is in the second person, you. In the first three verses, it is he, his commandments. And then it becomes you, your commandments. And basically through the rest of the psalm, it will be that second person speaking not about God, but to God. Why is that important? Because the first part, verse 2 and 3, 1, 2 and 3, states the truth. And then the verses 4 and following, you could say, are the reaction, the response 
of us. And the poet puts these responses on our lips. This is how you respond to it. The fact that those who walk in the ways of the Lord are blessed. So we deal from verse 4 onward to the reaction. And why is it important? Because, as I just said, this seems so kind of out of touch with reality. Can anyone do that? Well, the poet knows himself. He knows, if you look at the very end of this stanza, do not utterly forsake me. He's certainly not one who says, I have everything just perfect, and I can do everything fine. He knows he is depraved by nature. And if God would leave him alone, there was no hope for him. And so in the verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, he lays out what we and he needs to do. Verse 5, have a look at it. All that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. That's a prayer. All that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Uh, He just said, this is what is needed, but I cannot do it. So what do I need to do? I need to go on my knees. I need to ask for the mercy and the grace of the Lord. Lord, help me to do this. Give that my ways may be steadfast and not going this way and that way, but be focused. Verse 6, then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. So what he says here, I can easily wander off the road that I have to travel. And I need to fix my eyes on your commandments. Think about, about the road that you travel on. Let's say it's night and, and you can see very clearly. And you follow the lines that are on the, lo- on the road. And you know where you're going. And it helps you. So in a way he's saying, because I know that by nature I wander off and go the wrong way. I fix my eyes on all your commandments. And that fixing of the eyes is a beautiful expression. That you really focus on it. The, the, the law of God isn't something that I have and I know it is there somewhere in my back pocket maybe that I can use every so often. No, it is in front of me and I fix my eyes, my life on it. I need that. Otherwise I go off course. Verse 7. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. So prayer leads to having your eyes fixed on it, and that leads in turn to praise. When you know your own weaknesses and your dependence on the Lord, then you want to praise Him when He lays out before you what you need to do. Imagine we had to find out ourselves what is right before God. And how thankful we can be that God has laid it out for us. And that when you study that and when you fix your eyes on that, you can only thank the Lord that he did this. That I can learn these righteous rules. Teach them. Work with them. And it ends in verse 8. Do not utterly forsake me. He throws himself completely to the mercy of God. Lord, I need you to do this. 
So how can you live a blameless life, brothers and sisters, when you go on your knees? When you pray for the grace and the mercy of God and the Spirit of God to help you each day again. When you start your day with asking for this, fixing your eyes on the commandments of God, praising Him that He has given these righteous rules and not relying on your own strength. Psalm 119 clearly is a covenant psalm. That means it's a psalm that functions within a beautiful relationship that God has made with his people. Remember that in the Old Testament, the tablets of the law were under the the lid of the ark, the lid of atonement, the mercy seat, covered with blood. So... Already in the Old Testament, God's people realize the only way we can do this is by the mercy of God, and that we pray for it. Because of the blood that was sprinkled on it, and that we ask for it. Clearly, the psalmist is not a self-righteous person. Who who comes before God and says, Lord, look how well I've done things. No, he knows himself completely dependent God and his grace and he prays for it and he could only do that because he knows that more is coming Psalm 119 brothers and sisters is a psalm like all the other psalms too but we deal now with this one that points to Christ if there was one who could sing this perfectly and truly it was our Lord Jesus Christ who was blameless in all that he did in your place, who kept the commandments of God, whose joy it was, whose food and drink it was to do the will of his Father, and who in your place kept the law perfectly, in full obedience. And his work is given to you in the covenant of grace, so that you may come before God blameless, as if you had never sinned. The Lord's Supper is a sign and a seal of that, that indeed my sins are washed away. When I do not fix my eyes on the road ahead, when I wander off, that covered by the blood of Christ again, blameless. His righteousness is given to me by faith. What a blessing. And that makes me all the more willing to do this. Psalm 119 points to Christ, is fulfilled in Christ, and we now sing it because of Christ. And we love God's law because of what Christ has done in and for us. And therefore we sing it today. And we pray, Lord, help us to keep your law diligently, to show our thankfulness, our deep gratitude. Help us to praise you. Help us to keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake us. I hope you sense some of the joy and excitement 
the gratitude of the poet and that you also see that in your own life. But there's one more thing I would like to point out. Why is it that the poet is so focused on this? Why does he want us to walk in the way of the teachings of God and the law of God? I want you to have a look again at verse 2. There's something there that I want to point out to you. This poetry, and it means there are sometimes subtle changes that can tell us a lot. If you look at verse 2, where initially the same statement is made as in the first one, blessed are those who keep his testimonies. And then the parallel line to be says, who seek him with their whole heart. And notice a subtle change that the poet makes here, that what is called his testimonies in the first line, that is referred to in the second line as him. First it says, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. What does that mean? That means that when you keep these testimonies, you seek him. God and his word are one and the same. When you love his word, you love him. When you love him, you love his word. When you keep his word, you are faithful to him. When you're faithful to him, you keep his word. The two are connected. Because, brothers and sisters, that word is not just a statement about God. When we deal with the word of God, it's not just an information about God. The word is God coming to us. He speaks in, by, through, and with his word. Deuteronomy. One of the powerful arguments that Moses uses against idolatry and making idols and making something that you can see and take with you. He says, God spoke to you. He was there by his word. And think of John 1. The word became flesh and it lived among us. So why is the word so important? Because the word is God coming to us. He himself being with us. We have fellowship with God through the word. The word that lives and is active. And that is why we have to fix our eyes on it. That's why we have to submit to it and take it in and drink it in. That is why we come here. And listen to the word of God proclaimed to us. For then, it's not just coming together here and hearing something interesting. It is meeting God himself under the word, through the word. And the kingdom of God being opened in that way. That's why you take the Bible with you through your life. And you begin the day with reading the Bible. And you end the day with thinking about God's word. And you study it and you meditate upon it. Why? 
And Psalm 119 will, will explore that a lot more yet. But why is that? Because it is His Word. It is He Himself. So, brothers and sisters, as you fix your eyes on His commandments, His law, His words, His statutes, His decrees, you're fixing your eye on Him. He who in your place fulfilled all God's commandments and brings his work into your life by that means and by the power of his spirit. And then you begin in this life the eternal joy. The eternal joy, the joy of wanting to do what is pleasing to God from the heart. It begins right here by us serving him cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, renewed by His Spirit. So seek Him in all that you do. Seek Him with determination. Look to Him for guidance and salvation. Amen.